Good morning. You guys doing well? Happy New Year. Thank you. Uh, We will have grief counseling at the end of the service for all Cardinal fans and Steeler fans. Did Steelers get beat last night? We will help you work through your misplaced hope and dreams. (laughs) Good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. You guys know what Hebrews 11 is all about? It's the big faith chapter. Yes, it is. It's where we get the definition of faith. It's a wonderful chapter. We'll be looking at verses 23 through 27. And this is four resolutions to an amazing 2015. This is the preface for kicking off a teaching series next weekend, which is Dare You to Move 2.5. We're going to really focus in on on what God's doing here at Desert Breeze for five weeks, but I kind of feel a little bit like this is a locker room talk, this and then the next five weeks, kind of that halftime locker room talk, or or sometimes you see these scenes in the movie where you have this uh, very inspirational kind of uh, talk by the leader, Uh, one of my favorite movies, Braveheart, you guys familiar with the scene where uh, the Scotland, all of Scotland, all the men of Scotland are, are pushing back against the English oppressors and they're about to take them on in this big open field and William Wallace is riding his horse in front of them and he's giving this, this big rah-rah speech and at the end of the speech, you guys remember what he says? They can take our lives, but they can't take our freedom. Yes, freedom. Yes, they can take our lives, but they can't take our freedom. And, and this is a little bit as we head into 2015. Take a look at your notes here. This is uh, a little bit of the intro of what we're going to be looking at this morning. You can't control what will happen to you in 2015. Now think about that. Who knows what's going to happen in 2015? You can't control what will happen to you in 2015, but you can control how you respond, which reveals your character. It's, it's really about your character. Your circumstances matter far less to your happiness than you think. I know oftentimes we think if I could just have a different job, different, uh, different spouse, uh, different set of kids or whatever. I mean, we, we think that if our circumstances could somehow change or whatever, but it's actually, your circumstances matter far less to your happiness than you think. It's more about your character. Your character is the sum total of your choices. It's the sum total of your commitments, your resolve, your resolutions. We make our choices and then our choices make us. That's why in Joshua 24, 15, Joshua is leading the nation of Israel into the promised land. They're, they're going to be heading through the desert and going to go into the promised land. And what does he say? He says, choose this day whom you will serve. That's why I like New Year's because it's almost like God saying, okay, here's a brand new year. Choose this day who, whom you will serve. Are you going to serve God? Are you going to be a person of character? Are you ready to take on 2015? And that's the, that's the challenge that we have before us. Take a look at your notes once again. To resolve means to decide, settle, determine, purpose. Resolution is a firm determination to do something. I'm going to do something this year. I'm going to be something this year. It's going to make a difference in my life, and I'm going to make a difference in my life. Now, most resolutions are shallow based on fear and our pride and don't last. If you look at the average resolution that uh, you know, Americans or people worldwide make, they probably only last about six weeks, if that, maybe only a couple weeks. And the reason for that is because they're motivated more out of behavioral modification versus heart transformation. There's a major difference between the two. 
And I put, I don't know, I don't have this on your notes. You can write it down. I'm going to pray this at the very end. It's 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12. It really talks about what should motivate our resolutions and our resolve. And what it's saying there is that we should uh, have these resolved by God's grace, trusting in God's power for God's glory. And so this weekend into the next five weekends, we're going to talk about how God's amazing grace transforms our lives not behavioral modification, but heart transformation, how it transforms us from the inside out. And uh, I think it's just going to be a great way as we head into, into 2015 and just see what God wants to do in our lives. And so let's, uh, let's pray. Let's dive into these, uh, this text and then unpack these notes. You can see there's four resolutions we're going to be drawing from this text this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, we are excited to be here first weekend of the new year 2015 and uh, in the gospel, God, you lavish us with your love and you liberate us by your grace and you lead us with your empowering presence and you launch us into this brand new year of your transforming story of redemption. Living our lives for you, God, is not just desirable, but it's the greatest privilege possible and it's the purest delight imaginable. We pray through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit that by your grace, trusting in your power, that we would develop our character through these four resolutions that, would, that whatever may come our way in, in 2015, in this year, the year that's ahead, whether it's pain or prosperity, failure or success, that we would respond by reflecting and displaying your glory through our deep, durable joy in you, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text, wonderful text. So you guys are familiar with the story of Moses in the Old Testament. This is a kind of a biography, just a short glimpse of his life. You guys remember, Moses is the guy that challenged the greatest leader and greatest nation on the earth and led a million people out of slavery. And that, that was after they had been in slavery for some 400 years, this people group, the Israelites, He's the guy that God gave the Ten Commandments to on Mount Sinai. Remember, he came off the mountain. He had such a glow about him, it, it frightened the people. He's the guy that wrote the first five books of the Bible. And you guys know what the first five books of the Bible are, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So pretty significant person. Verse 23, we pick up our reading, chapter 11 of Hebrews, the faith chapter by faith. So he's given us definitions of faith. He's showing us how faith is realized in our lives through these different biblical characters. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. Don't all parents think their kids are beautiful? I mean, isn't that true about that? My kid's special. Of course your kid is special. Uh, all kids are special. And, and, and so he's just, they're just saying what is true as it relates to our daddy, our father in heaven. He does think we're special. We are beautiful to him. And they saw that he, there was something special about him. They were not afraid of the king's edict. The king's edict was that he saw that the nation of Israel was, was getting quite powerful. And so he said, hey, with your firstborn sons, throw them in the Nile. They refused to do that. You guys are familiar with the story. They put them in a basket. And guess what? So, so here he's pushing against God's people. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. Don't ever push against God's people because God's going to get his plan fulfilled regardless of what you might think, do, or say. And so God says, okay, you want to push against me? How about I have you raise the next 
Israeli leader within your own palace. Yes, the providential hand of God, I love it. It's quite wonderful. And so, uh, so they put him in a basket. Guess who finds him? Pharaoh's daughter. His daughter takes him into the palace. He's raised within the palace. And he's going to be the next leader of this group of people that he's trying to basically annihilate or destroy or, or kind of manage or control. And God says, you can't control me. You can't control my people. I'm the one that's in charge here. And then the story continues on, this little bit of a biography of, of Moses. By faith, so here's 40 years later, by faith, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he's raised in the palace, and there's, there's four verbs in these verses that we're reading. We just hit the first one, refused, and that give us the four resolutions we're looking at this morning. So by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Here's the next verb, choosing, verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Boy, that's a significant verse. That's a powerful verse. Verse 26, he considered, there's the third, or yeah, the third verb, considered it's a value statement. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured, there's the fourth verb, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is the word of the Lord to us. So four resolves, here's the first one, for 2015, I resolve to be defined by God and not by people. That's what we see in verse 24. So if you want to be a person of character, that you can face anything that may come your way in 2015, you need to have this resolve. You make your choices, then your choices make you. Here's the choice you need to make. I resolve to be defined by God and not by people. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he just didn't get grow older. He grew more mature, and this shows his maturity. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was born a Hebrew slave, but was raised as, an, as Egyptian royalty. Moses has an identity crisis and so when he was grown up, spiritual maturity. So this is a sign of spiritual maturity when you come to terms with uh, your true identity. Moses refused to be called. The, world, the, the idea of called means to be defined. It has to do with identity. It answers the most important question, who am I, why am I here? We talked about that this last uh, weekend. Why are you here? Why do you draw air into your lungs? Why do you exist? Divine de design or a random chance unlimited time? Well, divine design, okay. What's the designer's intent for you to be here? It sounds like it would be really important for you to understand what that is. And so uh, Westminster uh, Catechism, the first question, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God by enjoying him forever and enjoy him forever. So God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. So what are you supposed to do every day? Find your deepest satisfaction in him because that's the best way to put him on display as being glorious. And that's all part of it. And that's what we see certainly Moses doing throughout this. Why do I exist? So let me give you some uh, sub points under this, to be defined by God and not by people. God did not make you to be what someone else wants you to be. God did not make you to be what someone else wants you to be. Romans 12, 2, is that an important verse over here for anomaly? 
Yeah, that's kind of your theme verse over here, isn't it? Yeah, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's an important verse for our youth. It's an important verse for all of us. I like the way the Phillips puts it. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. So let me ask you this. Everybody look up here. Whose expectations are you living up to? Is it a spouse? Is it your parents? Is it a boss? Is it your own? Is it a church? Whose expectations are you living up to? It should be God. It should be living for an audience of one. Some of you are still haunted and harassed and hassled by parents who have passed on many years ago, and you still hear their words echoing in your head. And some of them are really demeaning words and harsh words, and maybe, maybe from siblings, maybe from other relatives, maybe from um, peers. You get beat up, and, and you still let that control your life rather than to be defined by God. So who is defining your life? Whose expectations are you trying to live up to? Envy says, I must be like you to be happy. So when I start envying people and what they have, it's basically saying, I, I I need to have what you have so that I can be happy. People-pleasing says, I must be liked by you to be happy. You've heard me say this many times before. You'd worry less about what others thought of you if you realized how little they did, okay? Because most people are pretty self-absorbed. That's part of the sinful nature. It takes us to the next point. It's more about what you want you want to be accepted and liked than what people say, do, or think. So it's not so much what people say, think, uh, uh, say, do, or think. You put weight on what they say, do, or think based on how much you need or want their acceptance and, and to be liked by them. And what that does is it creates this major problem. We lack self-control. Proverbs 29, 25 says, like a city without walls is, is a person without self-control. So when we talk about this uh, motivation, we're talking about more of an intrinsic motivation rather than an extrinsic motivation when it comes to life change. Not behavioral modification, outside in, fear and pride motivation, but a heart captivated by God kind of motivation. Intrinsic kind of motivation, living for an audience of one. People pleasing controls you when you seek it, disappoints you when you get it, because you weren't made to try to please the people in your life, you were made to, to please God, to live for an audience of one. So people-pleasing controls you when you seek it, disappoints you when you get it, and devastates you when you lose it. And, and this started way back in the garden when we pushed God off thinking we knew better than God and somehow he's holding out on us and so I'll try to discover life on my own. That created a spiritual alienation that immediately creates a psychological alienation within us because we were meant to walk with God in the garden, in the cool of the day, find all of the acceptance, security, and significance that we will ever need in Him, and then be launched out into life, and, and so that when we respond to the, the social aspects of our life, we would respond quite differently. So the spiritual alienation creates psychological alienation, a deficit of, of acceptance and security and significance, and therefore, socially, all I can bring to you is deficit, not abundance, but deficit, and I will inevitably use you as a means to an end to try to satisfy me. And you've heard me say this many times before. If I try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of identity on my own through Christ, all of my relationships become an effort to complete myself. That's why I see people get into marriage relationships way too quick, too fast, too desperate. 
because they don't have that sense of contentment and completeness in Christ. And, um, and here's a couple other thoughts, too, is that you are not defined by what you've done, sins, or what you've accomplished, but a lot of times we, get, we are haunted by past sins. So you're not only not defined by what you've done or what someone has done to you if you come from abuse. You've been abused physically, sexually, emotionally. That's not you. See, we are certainly the products, but not prisoners of our past. Yes, our past influences us, but it doesn't control us. So that's why, choose this day, who are you going to serve? Make some choices here. That's, that's what we're learning here. Here's my resolve. I'm going to be defined by God and not by people. And what he says about me, here's the next point. When you hang out in the throne room of, the whole, of a holy God, you aren't as easily dominated by the opinions of mere humans who are just like you. And so your goal is to know him in such a way that other people will, will be less awesome in comparison, okay? I mean, they're just not going to put so much weight on what people say because God, pretty much what he says about you trumps that. And, uh, and this is really about the fear of the Lord. I, I put the wrong verse down on your notes. So you might want to X through Romans and put Proverbs there. It's not Romans, but it's actually Proverbs. <clears throat> Proverbs 1.7, it says, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of what? Anybody? Yeah, wisdom. So he says, so wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. You're not even in the game until you begin to have the fear of the Lord. That's what I'm saying. It's the beginning of wisdom. You want to, you want to begin to see and respond to life from God's perspective? He says, you, you get in the game through the fear of the Lord. And so what is the fear of the Lord? We'll talk about that in just a minute. Let me grab a drink. So the fear of the Lord, uh, let me give you another verse here. I gave you a, a number of them. I'll just give you one more. Uh, Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. So the fear of the Lord leads to life. You want to experience life? It's found in the fear of the Lord. But it goes on. Whoever has it rests satisfied. You want to be satisfied? You want to have that soul satisfaction that nothing in creation can give to you except the creator? It comes through the fear of the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is this life-altering, life-transforming, joyful awe and wonder of the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for you that ruins you for anything else. It's the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. That's what we're working on the next, and we work on that every weekend, but particularly in the next, uh, this weekend and then the next five weekends as we talk about grace, this amazing grace working in our life and how it transforms our lives. And so to be defined by God and not by people, that's the first resolve. Second resolve is to enjoy the promises of God more than the promises of sin. To enjoy the promises of God more than the promises of sin. Verse 25 of our text, here's the next verb, choosing, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. So these, they're, they're slaves. So he could live, so here's his option. He could live in the palace or could kind of work in the pits, so to speak, figuratively speaking, actually literally speaking. So choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I, lo- I love that. Is sin pleasurable? Yep, certainly is, but it's fleeting. Let me give you some uh, thoughts with that. Here's the next fill in the blank. Sin has power over us through its promise of pleasure. 
So the reason why we would, you know, we would do something that would be contrary to what God has established in his word is because we actually think we're going to be happier. Nobody sins out of duty. We sin because it actually, we think that we're going to be happier. Adam and Eve took the, uh, ate from the tree because they thought God was holding out on them and they're going to be happier. That's the power sin has over us. And uh, most of our problems come from, from this, and it's really an inability to delay gratification. You and I tend to choose short-term pleasures, fleeting pleasures of sin, for long-term pain rather than short-term pain for long-term gain or pleasure. You guys tracking with me on that? Yeah, so, so when you look at that, how many would, would agree with me that over the holidays you tend to don't eat really how you should be, okay? And so when you head into the new year, you go, man, I've got to change my diet or I'm going to be in the grave by the end of 2015. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's you, because you, your diet gets flipped around and you're hanging out with friends and family and you eat one, one too many pieces of pie and whatever. You know, it's just like, whoa, after a while, if you continue that on that path, you know, you're going to go to the doctor this next year, and he's going to go, oh, my goodness, your cholesterol level is through the roof. What, what have you been doing? Hmm, nothing. And so is it, is it painful to, to eat right and to get enough rest and get exercise? Yeah. It's short-term pain, long-term pleasure, though. That's true not only physically but spiritually. It's hard to get yourself out of the bed in the morning sometimes and to come to church or to read your Bible, to turn the TV off. And read your Bible and pray. Short-term pain for long-term pleasure. We have to make those choices. Same thing financially. One of the reasons why we're in debt up to our eyeballs here in America today is because we, because we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to try to impress people we don't even like, okay? And uh, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy how we live our lives. And we do it with these charge cards and we max them out because we don't understand delayed gratification. And so we do that in all areas of our life. We even do it in marriage. I mean, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be married to this, this day. Nancy and I wouldn't be married if it wasn't for the work it took to work on our communication uh, skills, conflict resolution skills, really working on the infrastructure. We thought we had a good infrastructure until we hit our seventh year and we nearly crashed and burned. And then we realized, wait a minute, we need a lot of work. And I wouldn't trade, you know, what the kind of relationship we have now for anything. But I'm telling you, it took some work. It took some delayed gratification. It took getting involved in a, in a marriage class that we're offering here in, a, in another week. It took that. It took getting involved in another class. Game of Life class helps to build within you that, that faith and that understanding of grace. It's more concentrated look at what we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks of God's grace working in our lives. It takes some work doing that. But when, I'll tell you what, it, ha, it pays, it pays well when you do that. That's the idea. Sin has power over us through its promise of pleasure. The power of sin's promise is broken by the power of God's promise. So when I'm being tempted away from God, I've got to be reminded, wait a minute, wait a minute. In the long run, I'm going to be better off if I take the path that God has for me. In fact, next point in your notes, a life of pain with God is infinitely and eternally more satisfying than a life of pleasure without him. And that's what you see with Moses, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, let me give you an illustration of, of this idea of a life of pain with God is infinitely 
and eternally more satisfying than a life of pleasure without him. Uh, Psalm 73 is the cross-reference I put on there. I just kind of want to give a quick overview of Psalm 73. It's one of those uh, psalms that I go to from time to time. Psalm 73 mirrors 37. So if you remember 37, 73, they kind of mirror each other. And the psalmist is struggling with envy. He's looking on the landscape of life and he's saying, hey, those people don't even love you, God. They don't even, they thumb their nose at you and they're prosperous and they're successful and they have no pain and I'm getting the living daylights beat out of me and I call upon your name regularly. What's up with that? That's what he's struggling with. Anybody ever struggle like that? Yeah, don't worry, you won't get struck by lightning in here. I mean, that's, that's honest. This is what he's doing. He writes a whole psalm about that. He's like saying, hey, what's up with that? In fact, he starts with this, verse 73, uh, just verse 3. He says, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then when you jump to verse 13, he says, all in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocent. A lot of the good this Christian life's doing me. I mean, that's what he's saying. You're going, wow, what? That's in the Bible? Yeah. I mean, he's being honest. Check this out. This, this, is, this is amazing here. Then you go to verse 17. So as you kind of work through it, you go to verse 17. So he's got all these problems, these issues, this envy. And then verse 17, until I felt this way, until, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. I had an encounter with the living God. I mean, I, I came face to face with the one who loves me, gave his life for me. I mean, I came face to face with him, and my heart was recalibrated. I began to see life. By the way, that's called the fear of the Lord. That's, that's seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. So when we fall prey to envy, you know, or anxiety, or despair, it's because we need to come face to face with the living God and begin to see just how glorious and big and wonderful he is. We need an encounter with him. That's what I hope over the next few weeks so we have an encounter with God. We have one of these kind of experiences. And then you're not going to envy them. You will pity them. You will pity people because you'll, you know the path they're on. It goes back to that, you know, that, that short-term pleasure for long-term pain. That's, that's the path they're on. And he goes on, verse 23 and 24, just talks about God's presence. Verse 25, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Wait a minute, I've got you, God. If I have you, I have everything I need. A little bit of that statement you hear me say from time to time. I think I said it last weekend, C.S. Lewis' statement, The man who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. I don't know that we really understand what we have in God. And that's what, he's, he's coming to that understanding. He's going, oh my goodness. He says, so whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Are you kidding? I, I, I've got you. And then he says, my flesh and my heart may fail me. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be taken out of this life. I might suffer uh, with all kinds of problems. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So that's that idea, really, of the fear of the Lord. It's just, uh, it's, it's really quite amazing. So we got two resolves. First one, I resolve to be defined by God and not by people. Number two, to enjoy the promises of God more than the promises of sin. 
And then number three, to be shaped by the values of God's word rather than the values of this world. To be shaped by the values of God, excuse me, God's uh, values of God's word rather than the values of this world. Verse 26, here's your third verb, he considered. You could even circle uh, that. He considered, value statement, the reproach of Christ greater wealth, the reproach of Christ, greater wealth, he considered that as greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, let me ask you this question. What are your top three or four values that you live by? If I were to sit down with you, we're at Starbucks hanging out, and I say, so what are your values? Because you see the things you value, you prioritize the things you prioritize, your practice. So if I look at your practice, I can tell what you prioritize, and then I can go back to your values, and they'll show me, hey, what's most important to you? Can you name them? If you can't name them, how can you live by them? And you need to also know the values of this world because the, the media is spending billions of dollars to get you to believe in the values of this world as opposed to the values of God. Here's the world's values. The values of this world is to look good, feel good, and have all the goods. That's the values of this world. Let me walk you through that. So verse 24, to look good, verse 24, son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, he could have stayed in the palace. Yep, son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm living in the palace. That's popularity. That's a position. And then to feel good really is about pleasure. Verse 25, pleasures of sin. And then have all the goods, verse 26, the treasures of Egypt. So you got popularity or position, pleasures, possessions. That's, that's the thrust of our society. First John 2, 15 through 17 mentions those three. Jesus was tempted in all three of those in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Listen to me. Everybody look up here. That's the American dream. And Moses walked away from it. He walked away from what we would classify as the American dream. Moses walked away from what most people spend their whole life trying to get. What's the alternative? Well, it's it's God's values. The values of God's word are God's purpose is more valuable than popularity or position. Um, Philippians 121 to live as Christ, to die as gain. That's what he's saying. He's in prison when he writes that, by the way. And also, Paul, who had quite a bit of accolades and accomplishments and achievements, third chapter, Philippians, um, what does he say? He goes, that's all junk compared, so it's all worthless compared to the priceless gain. All the position, popularity, possessions, and pleasures of this world, that's what he's saying, is junk Dung, actually what he says there, uses another word for that, but we won't use it here in church this morning. He says it's dung compared to to the priceless gain of knowing Jesus Christ. So, So God's purpose, living for God, chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. That's more... Even if you were to go all the way and win the Super Bowl and get a Super Bowl ring, that's nothing compared to this is what, it's, what he's saying here. God's purpose is more valuable than popularity. People are more valuable than pleasure. Acts 20, 35, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In fact, it's interesting, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4 talks about a group of people that even in their, their poverty, 
And in their suffering, they had amazing radical generosity, and it was because of God's grace. As uh, Pastor Scott was talking about, man, when, you, when your life is invaded and your heart explodes with the grace of God, it's natural for you to want to help as many people as possible to experience the same thing. You're willing to give up that Starbucks drink or, or that big screen TV or whatever and put that money towards ministry so that more people can hear the message of the gospel. And many of you do that regularly. This church exists because many of you are radically generous, not just by giving your tithes, but also your offerings over and above that to the many mission opportunities we have throughout this church. I mean, it's just amazing. I don't, I don't think I've ever been a part of a church quite like this. That you give faithfully, we're able to purchase this, now we're going to kick out these walls and expand it so that we can leverage this place to reach more people with the gospel message. And that's what happens here. When you begin to realize people are more valuable than pleasure. Yeah, I'm willing to give up a few things in my life so that more people can hear the gospel. So you do that with your tithes, your offerings, your alms. I mean, I have a front row seat. I'm not only doing that with my resources, but I see you guys doing it too. It's amazing. It's really amazing. And then, and then peace of mind. Peace of mind is more valuable than possessions. And uh, all you got to do is read some of the biographies of the Hollywood crowd with all the, the opulent and the, and the affluent lifestyle and all that. They're, they're a wreck. They go from one marriage to the next marriage and all the stuff that's going on there. Here's what a Proverbs says. Proverbs uh, 17.1, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Game over. Listen to me. All the positions and the possessions and the pleasures of life cannot give you the peace of mind that only God can give you. Some of you are still working through that because you actually believe it's going to be found out there in the next promotion or just one more, you know, purchase or another pleasure, another vacation. Vaca that's all good, but don't turn the good thing into an ultimate thing. It becomes idolatry. It becomes a very bad thing in our lives. It's only found in God. Peace of mind is only found peace with God, and that's a gift from God through Jesus Christ. So it's, <laughs> so it's fantastic what we have in Him. And those are the values of this world. So if I were to ask you, what are your values? You could say humility, generosity, integrity. Humility is I'm living for God's purpose, not my purpose. That's humility. It's not about me. It's about God. I want to make much of him. Generosity, yeah, yeah I want to leverage my, my time, my talents, my treasures to benefit other people so that they can see and experience what I'm experiencing. And then integrity, yeah, that's an integration of body, body mind, spirit, soul, peace of mind, Regardless of what's going down, I have peace with God, which gives me the peace of God that rules my heart and mind. Oh my goodness, that's integrity. That's honesty. That's just living your life out in the open for everyone to see. Here's the last one, number four. <clears throat> We're almost finished. Hey, we got a good pace going here, don't we? <clears throat> so resolutions, I resolve to be defined by God and not by people, to enjoy the promises of God more than the promises of sin, to be shaped by the values of God's word rather than the values of this world. <clears throat> then number four, to live by faith and not by fear. That's verse 27. By faith, 
he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. By the way, the king was God. Whatever he said, you know, if you didn't follow, you were going to be killed by him. So he didn't fear the anger of the king, for he endured. There's their, that fourth verb. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Everybody look up here just for a minute. You know there's a difference between seeing with the eyes of your head versus the eyes of your heart. You guys know what I'm talking about there? Because Jesus even makes that statement there in uh, Matthew 13, 13. Seeing, seeing, these people see, but they don't see. What? What is he talking about? They see physically, but they don't see spiritually. I mean, you can talk until you're blue in the face to your friends about how wonderful Jesus is, and they just yawn through your conversation with them and just like, it's because they don't have eyes to see. They, they are desperate to have eyes to see. It's, it's called faith. And uh, it's, it's what we need more than anything, and that's what you see that Moses has, seeing him who is invisible. Here's what faith is. Faith is truth about God entering your head, igniting your heart, and outworking through your hands. And I put three Latin words there. This is from Martin Luther as he was defining for us faith. You can see it there in the parentheses. Noticia, which is content. Ascensus, which is conviction. And then fiducia, which is commitment. So it's head, heart, hands. I hear people all the time say, oh yeah, I believe in God, but it's just kind of this mental ascent. They really don't have an accurate view of who God is. That would be the content. So it's important to have the accurate view of God based on God's word. And if that should be more than just uh, dead orthodoxy, it should motivate and stir you emotionally. That would be that next part. That would be that conviction. Wow, this God of the galaxies loves me that much? Yes, it's not something that's just clear to the mind. It's real to your heart. It takes hold of your heart, and obviously it's going to be walked out in your life through your hands, how you live your life and how you respond to the events of life. That's what character is about. And, uh, and you find yourself more and more being that person of character as a result of that. Right here, this idea of faith, this is the deepest longing of the human heart that's seeing seeing God, savoring God, and then showing God to the world. That's the deepest longing of the human heart. That's what faith is. Seeing the beauty and the glory of God, savoring it, finding your deepest satisfaction in it, and then showing that to the world. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Verse 6 of that same uh, chapter says this, without faith it is impossible to please God. So if, if you come to him, if you want to have a relationship with him, uh, you, mu- you must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so faith is going to be seen in your, your seeking of him above anyone or anything. He becomes the passion of your life. Here's the next point on your notes. It's not the size but the object of your faith that matters the most. And the more you get to know the object, the object would be God, our Savior, Jesus. The more you get to know the object of your faith, the more your faith it will soar. Your faith will soar. How much faith does it take to move mountains? Anybody? Mustard seed. Yeah, Matthew 17, 20, mustard seed faith. You can move mountains. So it's not the size of your faith. Mustard seed faith. You can move mountains. So small amount of faith in a big God, things going to happen. Um, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing what? Anybody? The Word of God. So empty heads cannot 
produce enthralled hearts. That's why we study God's word. That's why we take his word so seriously here. We study it. We continue to study it week in and week out. And so it's, this is how he interacts with us. This was important enough, his interaction with us, to write it down. God's word is alive and powerful. He speaks to us. It's inspired of God. These are the words of God. God speaks to us through his word. And as we get to know God through his word, it stirs up our faith. It goes from our head, heart, hands. We live it out in our lives. We, be, be, we become people of character. So no matter what comes our way in 2015, we're ready for it. I mean, bring it on. I've got God in my life. And all I'm going to do is use that as an opportunity to put him on display that much more. That's, that's the idea here. In Psalm 9, 9 through 10, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know his name, know his character, will trust in him. So trust comes as a result of knowing him. So if you're struggling with your trust, get to know him. Spend time with him. And we'll give you that opportunity over the next few weeks as we look at the 5G process of full devotion to Christ, which brings fullness of life. As you get to know him, you're going to experience more and more of this fullness of life. Those who know his name will trust in him because he has never forsaken those who seek him. Here's the last one. The closer you get to God through spiritual disciplines, the less fear you'll have. It's the power of proximity. To the degree I'm frightened is to the degree that it's just telling me I need to get closer to him. I need to spend time with him. I need to spend some time. Sometimes I even fast. I'll fast, take, you know, get rid of food in my life or get rid of you know, listening to you know, radio or listening to this or doing that. or I'll, do, I'll change my lifestyle because I'm, I'm so desperate to, to connect with God because I've got so much anxiety or bitterness or despair working in my life. It's just a sign that, hey, I need to get close to him. I need to know him, I need to experience him because I know that his perfect love will chase away all those fears, 1 John 4, 18 through 19. And so, so, here's, so here's what we're trying to understand here through these four resolutions is uh, character is a person whose behavior is the product of choices, their resolutions, their resolve based on their values versus a person that lacks character is... Uh, is a person whose behavior is the, is the product of their feelings based on their circumstances. So regardless of what may come our way in 2015, you will be prepared to face it because you have character, you have God in your life. And, and so that's, that's what this is all about. That's why this was the preface as we head into this understanding of full devotion to Christ. We have just now finished up probably, certainly, the most successful year in the history of Desert Breeze Community Church in 2014. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's pretty amazing. So we're going to spend five weeks just talking about that, celebrating that, and talking about what role we play in what God wants to do here. Now, I can't help but think, if you're a whole lot like me, that the gospel still needs to go a little deeper in your life. We just finished up the holiday season where we talked uh, substantially about Luke 2.10 where it says good news of great joy and that great joy should be working in our lives in such a way that it is indescribable and indestructible, but I don't think too often it is and it's really because we don't understand the good news. We need to understand the gospel. We're gonna spend five weeks just focused in on the gospel and you're gonna hear a lot of testimonies of people in the church that have encountered Christ through the gospel and how it's transformed their lives. 
So that's what we're going to be spending time uh, talking about because I want the gospel to go so much deeper into your life that you will become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, genuine, growing, giving, going, all for God's glory. So we're going to do an overview of that, but if you want really a concentrated look at that, join me for our eight-week class, Game of Life. And, um, and we're going to go into that in even more detail on Tuesday nights here starting not this week but the following week. I would invite you to sign up for that class and be a part of that. And uh, it will, it's, it's life-changing. It's life-transforming. And I don't use those phrases lightly. It really does transform people's lives as we understand it. And so kind of that's where we're headed. Next weekend, dare you to move 2.5, unleashing God's power in our lives, 2 Corinthians 16.9. And, uh, and so that's where we're headed. I'm excited about 2015. I happen to believe it's going to be even the best year ever, even more so than 2014. So let's pray, and uh, I'd like to pray what I said I was going to pray, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12. Let me pray through these four resolves, and then I'll pray 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12 to talk about God's help in our life. So God, we, boy, what a great time we've had this morning of just really studying your word, and, and so we resolve this morning to be defined by you rather than people to enjoy your promises over the promises of sin, to be shaped by your values rather than the values of this world, and to live by faith and not by fear. And when we find fear creeping into our lives, that we would find that time alone with you to get to know you because it's, it's your perfect love that chases away the fears. And so as it says here in 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good in every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in us and us in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you. Love you guys a lot.